When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Cause Football Nerds here doing our championship game mega show. That's right. We're going to call it a mega show. And you've seen maybe in the bottom right corner how long this is going to run. So settle in. We're going to talk a whole lot. We're going to cover some review content of both of the semifinal games and get into a Georgia-Alabama preview after that. We want to kind of stretch our legs a little bit, Josh, because we want to maybe talk about some matchups, talk about some numbers, and not feel like we're on a clock. So if y'all don't want to watch the YouTube version, the video version, we do have a podcast, and you can listen to us in the car, because you don't need to be watching us in the car, and the link will be in the description. Um, As usual, we've got homework for you. Give us your score prediction, but also if you want to talk about what you saw in either of the semifinal games, we'll mix it up down there with you. Um, we're going to take a couple of victory laps in this one, Josh, um, especially after all of the slander we caught last week. But let's start with Georgia and Michigan, where we caught a lot of slander. And um, you said you, you picked this a pretty sizable spread for Georgia. I picked it a closer game. Um, and you said the matchups were bad. We both were kind of concerned in that regard. And I don't think that much turned out in the way that anybody expected differently in terms of Michigan not being able to run the ball. And we're going to get into their offense in a little bit in a minute. But I want to talk first about Georgia offensively and what we saw in this game. And you and I both agreed it, it felt like Michigan was just not prepared or completely shocked at what Georgia was able to do offensively. And so I want you to do is maybe give us your reaction of that and talk about did Georgia do anything different in your mind? Maybe had they had to put it all out there to make sure they got this win after the, the Alabama game. Did they do anything differently or did they just do what they do and did it really well and Michigan wasn't ready for it? I think they did vary some things up, but a lot of it was really dictated more by the matchups in this game. You know, I had this game 34-17 Georgia. I took a tremendous amount of flack from Michigan fans 
for quote unquote hating them. And, you know, obviously both of us picking Georgia, we, we weren't wrong. Um, and the thing that really stuck out to me about this game is that Michigan was not a particularly good rush defense. Uh, it was kind of their Achilles heel, not to say they were bad, but they were not elite in run defense all year. And I felt like they weren't going to do enough to slow Georgia. But at the same token, Georgia was an elite rush defense themselves. This was a nightmare matchup for Michigan. And I made it the point in that video that I felt like if Michigan wanted to win a playoff game, they would have been a lot better probably playing Alabama because with their pass rushers and the way they were built, they were probably in a better position to be able to slow Alabama down than Georgia. And I think that's what we got. But the thing that was a little different to me about the way Georgia attacked Michigan is that because they were able to run the ball pretty darn successfully. And when I talk about that, um, and we're probably going to be doing a lot of callbacks, obviously, to the Georgia-Alabama game that's already happened. Prepare yourself for it. It's relevant data. It's not determinative. We'll get into that part too, but it's relevant. In that game, Georgia rushed the ball for just 3.6 yards per carry. And when you're running for under four and a half yards per carry, it changes the way that you can approach the game because the other team doesn't have to adjust, don't have to bring a safety down in the box, and you're not moving the ball well enough to be able to stay ahead of the change consistently and avoid passing when you don't want to. In this game, Georgia ran the ball for 5.4 yards per carry. That changes things dramatically. And a lot of times I saw Michigan really stressed to deal with Georgia's run game. I saw that first couple drives. I knew this was going to go bad for Michigan. And then because of all that stress, Michigan is having to play kind of a heavier personnel set than they would have liked. A lot of times they were a DB short versus what you might have liked. For a given formation and that lets you do some creative things in the passing game michigan rarely had two safeties deep and even you know even when you slide a running back out and you put him wide you think okay well there's no threat to run but the problem is the formations they were in and the personnel meant they still didn't really have a safety over the top and obviously they give up a deep pass to the rb so really the entire game to me i don't really feel like georgia did anything different and a lot of people will think that and i think that's a little bit maybe a little bit naive. I think what happened is that the game went differently and let Georgia do some things that they were never able to get to do in their last game against Alabama. And one thing I noticed in this game, I think I texted you about it for a while. And people were right about the sec having bigger, faster players in the front seven, huge linebackers. They can really move in space, defensive linemen. They can really get after it. And it was a shock to teams. But I think the Big Ten has really done a good job in adjusting to this and getting a lot of great edge players and great interior linemen and, and linebackers that are big that can run in space in their own right. But one thing I noticed, Josh, was, and this is where I think you have a difference between what an Alabama can do, like you said, stay in a dime set against you know certain personnel where uh, Michigan couldn't. I noticed that you know anecdotally their secondary players looked small. And I get it, like you want speed out there. But to me, a thing that an Alabama or Georgia brings to the table is they've got six one, you know, 210-pound corners that can play really well in the run game but can also run. So they're just as fast as these corners and safeties for Michigan, but they outweigh them by 30 pounds, which really changes up what you can do personnel-wise. And I don't think it helped that Dax Hill spent a lot of time on the sidelines in this game. Did you, do you think that's the issue there? Or is it some sort of schematic thing that, that Michigan doesn't see a lot in the big 10 that they saw against Georgia? 
or is it still a personnel issue, Jimmy's and Joe's, that they're just not there yet? I do think it's fair to wonder with some of these conferences where, you know, maybe where they have strengths and weaknesses at quarterback and wide receiver and how that affected things. We talked about it a lot in regard to Utah before the Ohio State game. The Utah you know, played in a Pac-12 that only had two teams that were averaging, you know, we say competence is around seven and a half yards per attempt. They only had two teams that were averaging above that. Of the two, one beat Utah, uh, that was Oregon State, and did it with about 11 yards per attempt in that game. And then the other one, UCLA, uh, Dorian uh, Thompson-Robinson was actually out the game that they played Utah uh, when UCLA lost. So sometimes I think you kind of have these things get hidden. I think there's an argument that maybe the Big Ten didn't really present athletes that could stress them um, other than big physical guys uh, you know term, in terms of speed edge presence the ability to get explosive plays over the top I mean Georgia's not known as being one of the more explosive offenses in that regard in the SEC they're just not uh, and look we talked a lot about the fact that they were a top three point per drive offense but their name of their game was always efficiency but even then it seemed like they really weren't prepared for Burton or McConkie and they seemed sort of like you said, sort of shocked at times almost. When you go back and think about the fact that Michigan State had success throwing on Michigan, you know, maybe there's something to the fact that, you know, Michigan State, as good as they are, they're not an elite pass offense. Um, I, maybe there is a talent gap now more at the skill positions than there used to be. And certainly Georgia and Alabama and these schools have all recruited at a very high level. The thing that I have a problem with that is that there's no doubt that Ohio State has that kind of skill position talent. I mean, Olave and Wilson are absolutely dudes. Um, Stroud is a dude. I think the problem with Georgia was really due to the fact that they could run as effectively as they could to get Michigan off balance. And Michigan, a lot like what happened with Georgia when they played Alabama, had not played a team that was able to handle them at the front well enough to make them have to cover, to make them have to play sideline to sideline. I'm not sure if Michigan does quite as poorly if they play this game again, frankly, but I think they were a little bit shell-shocked and it got away from them pretty quick. And one thing I noticed early on, we can switch the offensive side of the ball for Michigan defense for Georgia, is you know it's one thing to say, and we heard this theme from fans, and fans aren't coaches, I get that. But we heard this thing from fans over the last month about how Georgia ain't played nobody, you know, and, and there's two things there. One, the disrespect that people want to give an Arkansas after they murdered Texas and nobody could murder Texas inside the Big 12 and, and Kentucky, who was able to murder a Louisville team that had six or seven wins inside the ACC, um, is every year, and this is the thing that frustrates me, is every year... Kentucky or Arkansas or Florida when they're good, they get nine or 10 wins and everybody says they're so overrated and they're a product of ESPN media bias. And so Georgia by proxy gets no credit for beating them. But meanwhile, we're giving credit rightly for Ohio State beating Penn State at home by nine points, right? We're giving credit for teams who beat Iowa or things like that. And then come to find out, Penn State, you know, couldn't handle Arkansas and Kentucky beat Iowa. And these and and that's one part of it, Josh. But the other part is okay, let's say you think Arkansas or Kentucky are mediocre. How many teams in the country are beating Arkansas 37 to nothing? That's the big red flag that we're waving to everybody. It's not just who you play, it's how you play them. 
And Georgia, of all these teams, didn't have a knucklehead game against Rutgers. They didn't have a loss to Texas A&M. They beat the ever-loving crap out of everybody they played until they got to Alabama. And so these Michigan coaches might have seen and players might have seen a good-looking defense on paper and said, oh, well, it's just against Arkansas. Oh, it's just against Auburn. Well, I think they got a taste of it in this game. And it's one thing to see it on film, and it's another to try to have to react to it live and in action. And and Josh, this is where I, I end my rant and kind of want you to unpack this a little bit. I was frustrated that Michigan didn't step out of outside of what they do because you and I both said this is a bad matchup for Michigan. You cannot be a run team. And everybody talked about how many explosive plays they got. Well, most of them are in the run game. You cannot be a run team and just try to do your thing against this Georgia defense. It is a different animal. I thought they would come out, run tempo, try to go vertical with the ball. And I noted to you at one point, I even tweeted about it. At one point, they ran like a stretch play. And the guard released Jordan Davis to try to block the linebacker in the second level. And, of course, Jordan Davis got the guy for like three-yard loss. Were you surprised by the fact that Georgia, I'm sorry, Michigan against this Georgia defense didn't have any different plan of attack and really just ran the ball and ran their regular offense until it was too late and they were already down like 14, 17 and nothing? I, I wasn't shocked. I mean, this is quite frankly, Harbaugh's MO and this is the good and the bad. He has a scheme. He's going to run his scheme. It's always going to be based somewhat upon upon power, upon ball control. Yeah, they've brought in more modern concepts. I still don't think they've modernized that much. Um, they've modernized enough to be effective, but quite like Michigan State is modernizing a lot faster than Michigan with far worse players. And I think it's a little troubling that they came into this game and didn't realize that they needed to change up what they were doing. We've talked a lot that when you get to the playoff level, when you're playing elite, truly elite teams, there are going to be defenses that cannot be run on, period. Like 2016 Alabama could not be run on. Clemson, when they beat Alabama in that game, ran for 2.2 yards per carry. Wayne Gallman had 18 carries for 46 yards, 2.6 yard average. Deshaun Watson actually ended up having 21 carries for 43 yards uh, because they just couldn't do anything. And they ended up resorting more to scrambles than they were even rushes. And that's what happens when you play elite level teams. But Harbaugh, he's always had this tendency to stick with whatever works. And I, some people would call it an old school mentality. Frankly, I think it's more stubbornness than anything. He's going to run his offense and their offense was built around power. It was built around, um, using their ability to run the ball to set up misdirection. They have, have good bas uh, backs with Haskins and Corum. They have explosiveness in the run game. Michigan fans, again, spent all week telling us about how Michigan was the most explosive team in the country. And we kept saying, yes, but they're explosive on the ground. And that's not going to work versus Georgia. And, you know, it, it was frustrating but unsurprising. They did not adjust very quickly. They didn't come into this game accepting what Georgia was, knowing they were going to have to play that game of football. And I think to your point, and something we've said a lot with Georgia, you really have to understand in this modern era of football, if you want to win a game against a high-level team, you're unlikely to be able to win that game 17-10 to 10 anymore. And 
Uh, you know, the way that you score more points on a high-level team is not playing ball control and trading punts until you get a couple touchdowns and a couple plays. It's throwing the ball a lot because there's so many advantages to the passing game. You're going to put up some points if you have an explosive offense. Michigan never really practiced doing that. They never focused on that during the year. And again, it's just not surprising. Harbaugh's MO is not to come into a game and do something different. They're going to do what they do. Same problem Kirby Smart has had in the past. And in this case, doing what they do was good for Georgia and bad for Michigan. Um, so the result, again, being a game that I picked Georgia by 17 did not surprise me. And this is the point where, and if you watched how we talked about things on Twitter in terms of bowls, like we don't, we're not out here to be like, ha ha ha, SEC is better than everybody else. We're out here to say the best team is good or good teams are good. So like our point on Penn State, Arkansas was not that LOL, SEC is better than Big Ten. Same thing with Kentucky on Iowa. It's that we've already acknowledged that Penn State is better than their record. We've already acknowledged that Iowa's a good football team. So all we're saying is don't disrespect teams that beat them because of their brand name, because they're Arkansas or Kentucky. And that's what that's what frustrates us. And, and so we're giving credit to these Big Ten teams and 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 so that's that's all that it, like when we were talking about Michigan and Georgia, we've watched both of these teams equally. I've watched Michigan all year long. I've watched Georgia all year long. I was not surprised in this game other than I thought Michigan was peaking a little bit and I thought some of the trick play kind of stuff that they were really successful with in the last couple of games, Iowa and, and Ohio State, would net them more points than they ended up having. But otherwise, like, we weren't surprised that Georgia won this game, and it wasn't because we're some kind of homers. It's just kind of how we saw it. So we're running into needing to talk about the other semi, but kind of wrap this one up in a bow before we move on to the next game. In a nutshell to me, this Georgia-Michigan game was more lopsided than I expected it to be. I mean, Georgia did not punt in the first half. I didn't expect it to be that lopsided. I thought it would take longer for Georgia to rack up points. And look, what Georgia did defensively wasn't a big shock, especially given the way that Michigan approached the game. I thought Michigan moved the ball a lot better at the end when they switched quarterbacks. I think Cade McCarthy was totally out of his depth, or Cade McManamara, rather. Um, mixing up all the M quarterback names. Um, but the thing that really shocked me in that game was how effective Georgia's offense was. And really one of the big storylines, something that a drum you've been beating. So I'm going to try to give you a victory lap here. Georgia can absolutely win a title with Stetson Bennett. And it's really clear in that game that yes, Stetson Bennett can throw a deep ball if a guy's open. What he is good at is giving you every easy play in front of you. And if a guy is wide open down the field, he will see it and throw it. Daniels can throw a more accurate deep ball into traffic potentially, but he's not as good at recognizing when guys are open. He's a lot more apt to throw into heavier coverage and he doesn't get the ball off as quickly, cleanly, or accurately within 15 yards. And what you saw here is that when Georgia's run game is really going, Stetson Bennett as a compliment to that is phenomenal. And Michigan just had no answer. So um, the big curiosity when we get into the Alabama preview is really thinking on the fact of, in my view, it's going to be whether or not Georgia can run the ball well. But we'll we'll touch on that when we get there. Yeah, for me, 
the biggest difference between Alabama and Georgia and Michigan, Georgia is that Alabama was able to make things hard for Georgia offensively for Georgia offensively against Michigan. There was like, I don't remember them hitting third down a lot in the first half. Like there was everything easy was there. And that should not be the case against a high level defense in the playoffs. Everything that Georgia wanted to do, like they never had to work hard to get their yards. They never had to work hard and and make a lot of miraculous plays to make all these scores in a row. Um, and, and that's where Stetson Bennett is entirely deadly. All right, moving on to the next game, the Cotton Bowl, Alabama and Cincinnati. And, you know, going off of that point, Josh, I've been a little frustrated because we said when we did this preview that there's going to be a lot of people, if Alabama wins this comfortably, that say a G5 didn't belong there and this is evidence of that. I got to be honest, man, like this game, people might look at the final score or look at the box score and say, Alabama totally outclassed them and it showed that Cincinnati didn't belong. Alabama had a much easier time scoring on Georgia. They scored on five straight possessions against Georgia. Alabama's scoring against Cincinnati was very herky-jerky. And that's to Cincinnati's credit, not to Alabama's, you know, detriment. Like, I think Alabama is still who they are, clearly, even without Mechie getting Robinson back. Cincinnati has a damn good defense. I hope that doesn't demonetize us, but they have a very good defense. And the one thing that they did, especially that Michigan could not do, was stop players, stop the easy stuff in space. Wide receiver screens, stuff in space. Their corners were great. They weren't giving up separation. Josh, tell me, like, are Alabama fans a little little off base in saying that Cincinnati had no business being there and this is evidence of that? Didn't they struggle more than they should have if Cincinnati had no business being there? Well, I think you can decouple those two points. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, but I'll, I'll agree with you to start with. Uh, this was the second lowest um, yard per attempt average that Bryce Young had on the season. He was 6.5 yards per attempt. The only worst game he had was Auburn, 6.1. Same, uh, same deal basically with QB rating. Alabama couldn't throw the ball particularly well. And I think Cincinnati showed why they were there. Their secondary is NFL caliber. They have an NFL caliber pass rusher in Sanders. And when I say NFL caliber, I mean Gardner and uh, at corner, Sanders at outside pass rusher are going to have heavy consideration for first-round draft picks. I think personally from all the ones I've seen, I'd probably lean towards McCrary at Auburn and Gardner being the two best corners I've seen this year. Um, they were phenomenal. And for Alabama, that was a really tough matchup. And so I, I do think it's a little premature to say they weren't good because there's a lot of stuff they did that gave Alabama fits in a way that almost no one could, again, outside Auburn. And I think it's a testament to the fact that on the back end and in terms of pass rush, Cincinnati is just as good as Auburn is. And Auburn is really, really high level. When they had all their guys available, they were an elite level unit in that regard. The problem and where I'm going to disagree is obviously they're not the same when you talk about run defense. Cincinnati was built to play G5 teams. They were undersized. They were undersized at the line, at linebacker. They did not hold up at the point of attack consistently. They were not able to handle Robinson either. One, they hardly ever could get a hand on him in the hole, but two, he was just running over guys at the second level. They, they were obviously just outmatched and almost, I think, shocked by the size and physicality that Alabama brought. 
And so there were a lot of plays that I think people would miss where Alabama would try to do an end around or they have a receiver screen and Cincinnati was blowing those up over and over again. And guys, that's hard to do. There were a lot of open field tackles where they were getting Alabama where I thought the play was going to go for big yardage because those plays typically do because it's hard for a corner to come off the block in those situations if a linebacker isn't forcing the receiver to get depth and they that you know they'd have leverage and the corners would just make a play. But at the same time while they were doing that, you know, they're giving up what, 6 yards of carry and you know and and I think that's the ultimate point here. When Brian Robinson is averaging 7.8 yards per carry, 204 yards, 200 yards on 26 carries, that's why you don't really belong. And I'll go ahead and lead into this, and I don't know if any Cincinnati fans are going to bother listening, but if they do, don't get too mad. The reality of this game to me is Cincinnati was lucky to play Alabama because this was a tough matchup for Alabama that showed Cincinnati's strengths. I think the reality is if they played a Big Ten or SEC season, there are a lot of teams like Arkansas, and I would say Auburn, that would beat them. If they played Auburn with their pass rushers, their secondary, and Auburn's run game, it doesn't matter that Auburn doesn't have a functional passing game or quarterback. Auburn would have run it down their throats, and the score would have looked a whole heck of a lot similar. So I do think it's fair to say they didn't belong because they had a massive weakness that was hidden by their schedule but I also saw why they did belong because in terms of pass defense, they were as good as anyone in the country, I think. Well, and, and my point is more in regards to what we always say. First, we can't compare them to like Alabama 2017 four seed. We need to compare them within their current year and with who else would have been vying for that fourth slot. I think there's a difference between and maybe semantically, that's what I should have said, there's a difference between deserving to be there based on your regular season and belonging there. We have seen only three of 16 semifinal games where both teams belong there. Like, it's blowout city. And this is, we're not going to get into this, but this is why we don't need to expand the playoffs. There weren't other teams that deserve to be there over Cincinnati. And you say put Cincinnati in the SEC, but I say put Notre Dame in the SEC. Put put Michigan this year in the SEC. Do they make the playoffs? I don't think so. So Utah. I mean, Utah. Yeah. Utah. I mean, Utah in that that Ohio State game looked totally totally yeah. overmatched so in the second. So from that standpoint, like who does? And for me, it's like, okay, they had a deficiency on defensive line and offensive line. But there's a lot of teams that do. That like Washington 2016 deserved to be there but did not belong there. And so maybe it's a, it's it's a bit of a nuance, but that's my point. It's like Everybody's saying this is a referendum on G5s and you noted their week schedule. But like if you're not in the SEC, you probably have it. Or, or Big Ten East, you have a week schedule. If you're in the ACC, you have a week schedule. So we got to fill out this field of four. I think Cincinnati acquitted themselves very well. They made things very hard for Alabama in, in, in a way that I don't think Notre Dame could. Honestly, I don't think Ohio State this year could because they're so depleted defensively. So I have, and this is not a slight to Alabama. They've already earned theirs, and they proved me wrong against Georgia. This is a respect for Cincinnati, and Alabama fans should be happy that they were able to gut out a win by three touchdowns against a team that could take away one very big component of their offense. But I want to talk about this, Josh. I want to get beyond that rant. One thing that was encouraging to me, if I'm an Alabama fan, is that Brian Robinson looked incredibly healthy. And that's not something Alabama has had 
since middle of the season when these running backs started dropping like flies. Yes, they didn't have a second receiver that could get open in space inside of 10 yards, so maybe they did miss Mechie in that way. But don't you think, Josh, especially going into the Georgia game, having a healthy Brian Robinson is a bigger win in their favor in terms of personnel than the loss they took in losing Mechie? I think probably so. Uh, and in this game, I think they really lacked Mechie's ability to get separation and short yardage. You know, the two-point conversion against Auburn was Mechie's ability to get open on a five to ten yard play. He's got suddenness at the line and technique that a lot of the other guys, frankly, lack for Alabama. He's got a lot of big-bodied guys. You know, look, I think of St. Brooks, Holden, or Aggie Hall, um, all of those guys are big-bodied receivers. They're great downfield targets. They're not great sudden guys. And in the slot, Bolden has been a serviceable player for them, and then Earl, uh, the other guy, has been hurt most of the year. So I think Mechie takes away a component when he's out of the game. I mean, it's, it's not just a quality thing. It's just sort of a component of the offense. But that doesn't matter as much as not having a good running back, period. And something we talk about a lot with a lot of different teams in a lot of different situations when a team loses a player, the thing that matters the most really isn't how good the player is, it's how big the drop-off is. And that is often determined a lot more by the backup than it is the starter. And that's because this isn't the NFL. You don't have 56 players on roster, all of whom are NFL players, all of whom are extremely good. Um, yeah, your starter may be awesome, but especially at like defensive line or receiver or what have you, there are a lot of good players out there and you're never going to have an awful option, or at least you shouldn't. Some teams, you know, dolphins, uh, that does happen, but that's sort of a institutional problem. When Alabama lost Robinson for a stretch, the problem of course was the fact that they'd already lost their second string tailback. They'd already lost their third string tailback. The fourth string tailback is coming back from a car crash, and the 15th tailback has never been available. I mean, he's literally the only scholarship tailback available at this point. And so having Robinson available for them, let them do something in this Cincinnati game that they would not have otherwise been able to do. And I, I really was kind of struck by this idea that if Alabama didn't have Robinson, if he had been hurt or out, um, you know, maybe banged up like he was in the Auburn game where he was barely available, um... I'm not sure how much this doesn't look like the Auburn game. I mean, Trey Sanders was effective, but 7.8 yards per carry for Robinson and 4.8 for Sanders is a big delta, frankly. And when Sanders came in, something I noticed a lot in this game, Alabama went very pass heavy. And a lot of Alabama fans I saw on Twitter were going nuts about how Alabama needed to stop throwing the ball. But what was happening is Alabama cannot run Robinson seven times in a row. I mean, running backs can't do that. They get tired. And when he would come off the field, that's when they'd start throwing. Or maybe he'd had a really run-heavy drive and they'd alternate because they'd get a three and out. And they would try to put in Sanders and they'd try to throw more. Sanders is a good receiver, good in pass pro uh, as a blocker. And it didn't have the same effect. And even in that situation when they'd run him, and at that point Sanders has an advantage because Cincinnati saw that, they were thinking pass, he still wasn't nearly as effective. So I think Alabama's offense has a really different dynamic with Robinson in the game. I think not only does it help them to maintain balance in a way that they really haven't been able to do the entire last third of the season, but in this game in particular, I think it was absolutely crucial for Alabama to exploit what ended up being 
the absolute fatal weakness that Cincinnati had in run defense. And there's a couple more notes on Alabama's offense that I'm going to get into in our Georgia preview. Um, but I will take for both of us a collective victory lap in that we said we don't expect, you know, outside wide receivers to have a day. We already respected Cincinnati's defense going in, especially at their corner positions. We said if if there's any success that's going to happen in the, in the passing game, it's going to be tight ends and Slade Bolden. And what do we see? Tight ends and Slade Bolden. Like that. That's where we were. So from from that regard, I think they did a good job of capitalizing where they needed to to keep the ball moving down the field. Um, and I also point out, and this is something you point out in every game all big games. I felt like Alabama really suffered from the thing that the refs do in big games in, in that they let them play because that when you have a talent disadvantage and nobody's calling holding and nobody's calling like really pass interference and stuff like that, that absolutely benefits the lesser team. Um, so from that standpoint, like, I think at one point before the, the personal foul where the guy punched Jameson Williams in the stomach and ripped his helmet off, which by the way, the ref standing right over him, didn't throw the flag before that. I think they had two penalties and they were both contact procedure penalties offsides, like that they had to call. Um, so that absolutely benefited Cincinnati. That's not me complaining about the refs. That's me complaining about how refs do big games. Um, but Josh, let's flip it over to defense a little bit. Is it time for Alabama fans who hate Pete Golding to stop complaining about Pete Golding? And I say this because if you're an Alabama fan, you're frustrated that you gave up a bunch of points to Arkansas. You're frustrated that you gave up what you gave up in the first half to Texas A&M. But maybe the way that Pete Golding approaches the defense is for Alabama to be ultimately effective against the best of the best and in some way that makes them not as good against lesser offenses is there something there with that maybe because right now Alabama showing out if you go back the last couple of years against teams in the postseason yeah I mean when you end the year your top three rushing defenses are Wisconsin Alabama and Georgia in that order from a yard per carry standpoint Alabama has passed Georgia uh, as a rush defense and that's a testament to where they're at. I mean, when, and when you talk top pass defenses in yards per attempt, uh, Georgia's number two, Alabama, for all their struggles, and they were a really middling unit at one point in the year, they're averaging 6.8 yards per carry allowed. It's 30th in the country. Um, it's not a bad unit anymore. And, and we're going to see that when we get in the preview and look at the model that those numbers have actually kind of narrowed. I think, I don't know that it's 100% true, but you, you've got to give some pause or thought on maybe the approach Alabama's taking makes sense. I mean, Alabama fans on Twitter that we saw all year were always complaining about the fact that Alabama needed to simplify their defense. And the point that I made at some point early in this year, Drew Samire, was if you look at teams that did simplify their defense, like Alabama fans loved Arkansas early in the season, Arkansas is great for the first three or four weeks of the year when teams aren't quite in sync and the offenses aren't in sync and they're not able to exploit zone coverage because that takes a lot of timing and trust. But once teams figure that out, it's hard for a simplified defense to have a counterpunch. And you start seeing Arkansas give up a lot of yards. And late in the year, Arkansas's defense was not particularly good 
and they got torched a lot. Alabama just went all over them. Our, even middle of the year, right? Georgia lit them up for 37. So, you know, maybe the reality is that Alabama's approach, which is very complicated and it's very hard to learn, might actually be the best approach for winning a playoff because you need to be really, really good if you're Alabama in the SEC championship game in a semifinal and a final. You are likely to play teams that are extremely high-level offenses in that series, and so you need to be awesome at the end of the year. And if you have shaky games in the first three to five games of the year, even if you drop one, in a playoff format, that's not the end of the world, obviously. And so, you know, maybe... Maybe their approach does cause them to be bad at this start of every year. Maybe it takes them a long time to gel. But if that's the trade-off required to be an elite-level defense at the end of the year because they have all this complexity and there's all this stuff in their toolbox, I mean, you really have to consider if that's not a worthwhile trade. Um, and I don't know if that is true. And I still I still maintain my criticism, which is Alabama returned a heck of a lot of players to be shaky at the beginning of last this year. Uh, if you want to talk about this build complexity over time problem, why did that not happen from last season to this season with mostly the same defense? Why did Georgia get it with a complicated defense where Alabama did not? But, you know, great defensive coordinators don't necessarily grow on trees. And the changes that Alabama fans that I've seen on Twitter when they snap back us on, on comments this year want to make about simplifying the defense and going back to their roots, I mean... I think you got to question whether that's a smart decision because what they're doing in terms of where the defense has been at the end of the year in 2020 and 2021 has been perfect for winning a playoff. And that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. And I think that, you know, especially against Georgia that we saw two years in a row where, where, you know, they capitalized on pick sixes, I think, um, you know, that complexity in that robber coverage that got the pick six in the SEC championship game was the kind of thing that can also lead to a bust and lead to an ugly exploitation of a touchdown. But the thing is, they don't care if they give up a top uh, three touchdowns against Tennessee, three touchdowns against Arkansas and bust because they're going to score 40, 50 points anyway. And I think that that fans get worried because they want to kill Arkansas. They want to beat Arkansas 44 to six every year, even when Arkansas is decent, not realizing that Al Nick Saban doesn't care. Nick Saban does not care if he can overall fine tune his defense for the end of the year. If he wins ugly against Arkansas, he just doesn't care. Um, fans care. Um, all right. So Josh, let's, let's take a step back because I, I was really impressed with Alabama. I think Alabama fans for three quarters probably weren't super impressed. Look at the final score and they're happy. I was impressed that Alabama was able to win when the Heisman quarterback and the explosive wide receivers were taken off the field. I was impressed with Alabama overall. If there's one concern for you coming out of this game, is it the fact that they didn't seem to have a good replacement for Mechie? Or is it with the two corners since Jalen Armour Davis couldn't really go? I mean, I, I didn't really have any reason to doubt the corners. I they they played really well. And you know, the thing I will say with them, it's a similar deal with LSU. Alabama is down three corners just like LSU was when they played Alabama, and everybody said, including us, Alabama was likely to run away with it. What we ended up finding out is that LSU's backup corners were just as good as the starters. That was the reality of it. McLaughlin's probably going to be a first-round draft pick at LSU. 
And LSU, Alabama's backup corners looked really good. I mean, McKinstry is, was like five-star top corner, if I remember right, from recruiting. And then the other guy is a Juco guy that was backing up a first or second round pick in Job. And it turns out that he's probably a starter at most schools. There was not a huge drop-off there. And in fact, he might be better than Job was with turf toe. I don't know because Cincinnati couldn't get the ball off. My biggest concern, as much as I said Mechie doesn't give them an easy option, I think the biggest problem with Mechie giving them an easy option, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, I thought Bryce Young had the yips again. There were a lot of plays where he wasn't trusting his protection, he wasn't trusting his routes. He had guys coming open, and he sometimes gets in a mode where when he stops losing, when he loses confidence in his offense, he does not throw with anticipation. He starts waiting for guys to come open because he doesn't trust that they will, and he doesn't trust that he'll have time. And there are a lot of plays that get left on the table where when he leaves, everybody's covered, but there's a lot of guys that are even, so they're leaving because Cincinnati's playing tight coverage and the ball just doesn't come out. Um, I know it's not really fair to put that on Bryce Young as it's unfair for any quarterback, but this is the kind of criticality we get to when you're talking about a national championship game. This was a very different quarterback, I felt like, than the SEC championship. I thought he was a lot more hesitant than he was in that game. He did not attempt many throws into tight coverage. He did not stand in there and take a hit and throw over the top. Maybe some of that was by design with the comfortability they had with how, uh, how poorly Cincinnati was doing on offense. But the lack of Mechie to me really reflected more in the fact that Bryce Young lost confidence in his receivers. And that's a troubling thing for me. Probably a good segue into the previews that we want to do for this game. But that was the biggest problem that I saw in that one. Yeah, he had the yips for two and a half quarters. And that's, they had, they were forcing three and out after three and out. And that's why this game could have been 52 to six. They were forcing so many three and outs and Alabama could not capitalize because he did. Bryce Young does a couple of things when he has the yips. He sails the ball in the flats or in that maybe seven yard kind of sideline type throw. He sails it and he rolls into or leaves the pocket and runs into, away from protection into danger. One thing I'll note that they've seemed to have gotten rid of or fixed from the LSU and Auburn game is he's not dropping into danger. He was dropping past his coverage, like really deep drops that was getting him into a lot of trouble. I think they fixed that. And so that's a that if you fix that in the Auburn game, they win that by three touchdowns. Just that one thing. So that's pretty good. Um, yeah, good time for a segue. Let's segue into the Alabama-Georgia preview. And for those of y'all who have hung with us this long, let us know in the comments if you like this format. YouTube does not like long videos. They want seven to ten minute clips. Get in, get out, stay for the whole time that sort of thing, but we've got a lot to talk about, especially since we know these two teams very well, and we like the kind of flow into, you know, this championship preview. Let us know if you like it. Let us know if you'd rather uh, that we could have broken all these up, and, and, and we'll take your uh, take it all into consideration. Um, okay, Josh, I, I think that this is a good segue into this discussion and the first thing I want to start with, which I think is subtle, that maybe a lot of people didn't pick up on in the Cincinnati game. One thing that we noted in the LSU and in the Auburn game was Bryce Young was walking up and doing checks at the line with like seven, eight seconds left. And it was not 
great for them. Like it was often he'd check into a bad play or, or, or a bad audible um, and it would go nowhere. A lot of times because they're trying to snap the ball right before, you know, right before the clock ends. Um, they came out tempo first drive and it was super successful. Do you think because they saw how successful that was first drive and they kind of knew that they were going to win the game, that they stopped doing it to save that for Georgia is there any thought in your mind with that? Because to me, it was very successful. They stopped doing it. They went back to the long checks and it wasn't great. Or do you think that that was just part of the script and we'll see that one drive and then after that, we won't see it anymore against Georgia? I think the thing that makes sense to start with when you talk about Georgia and Alabama and previewing the rematch is whether Alabama can recreate the magic that they had in the SEC championship game. And a part of that magic I really felt like was Alabama doing something they hadn't shown. We talked about when we picked Georgia to win that game that we were picking them because we hadn't seen Alabama do several things they needed to win. We had not seen them play with tempo. We had not seen them block well against a high-level front. We had not seen Bryce Young throw with confidence under pressure. And when they went to a tempo game against Georgia, I think it changed a lot of that for Alabama. And it felt like they were a lot more effective. It felt like it kept the pass rush at bay. You kind of wondered if the lack of any real healthy tailback to give a meaningful number of carries kind of pushed Alabama into this other style of offense that was just better for them. And I agree with you, what you were saying earlier, that Alabama against Cincinnati did that really for one drive. Early in the game, they drove right down the field. They didn't really do it again. And it, it's kind of an interesting point and in why they did it. Why did they change? Was this by design? Was this Bill O'Brien going back to his roots? All the embittered Alabama fans we're talking about uh, when we're recapping games on Twitter that we've seen a million times, I'll probably point to Bill O'Brien. I do think a lot of things were driven by the fact that they knew they could run the ball at a high clip and the fact that they knew they had to kind of keep Robinson moving and upright. They, they don't have a backup tailback. And against Cincinnati, they would have loved to have run the ball 40 times if they could have. They didn't, they're not going to get 40 carries out of him running every play. So by slowing the game down, it does a couple things for you. It allows the quarterback to check the direction of the run. And, and checks at the line of scrimmage are often a lot more important for runs than they are passes. As much as people, you know, you check protection, which is something Alabama's put on Bryce Young probably more than, you know, we've talked about this in the past more than they should have. And I think that's been a problem, especially late in the clock where, they don't always give themselves time to adjust to the blitz. The bigger deal for checks of the line is often checking the direction of the run, the gap that it's doing, that you see them flip the running back all the time, um, checking out of plays when you're running the ball that you don't go into a run blitz or an overload. Um, and that helped, I think, for them running the ball. And the other thing I think is it just gave Robinson time to breathe between plays. If you take a, a little bit slower, you're a little more likely to be able to run the ball six times in a row, I think. Because if you run, run, and run, usually I, I see with tempo, running backs can only about three times in a row. Uh, and there are a lot of teams that have, like Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee's the same way, that have really, really high tempo. They've got plays like little receiver screens or flips to the tight end or stuff built into their offense that are actually designed as running back breathers when they're running the ball down the throat. So I think that was a big part of it. Um, but the question is, was it by design? I think it probably 
if I had to be a betting man, I think they're not going to go away from the tempo they had against Georgia the first time, or at least they're going to try not to. I think it was a little bit based off what was working against Cincinnati and the circumstances, but I think it's a fair point. And this gets into, I think the broader point about trying to preview this game, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit because it brings up a lot of topics for all the talk we just had this week, talking about the two playoff games that we saw, how much of that is really relevant or like in any way telling as to an Alabama Georgia matchup that just has a lot of different matchups at play than what the two teams had in the semifinals. Well, you know, we talked about this before we hit record. And one of the things you said was, I've already seen this game. I saw it in the SEC championship game. So you can't tell me, even though Georgia's in favor now, that Alabama can't beat Georgia. And that's the first thing. If we're table setting for this discussion, the first thing to note is we've already seen Alabama win this game. And that's what I said before to somebody on Twitter who was like, what happens if, if Alabama beats Georgia? And I'm like, look, Alabama's Alabama. It's not like little old, you know, we're not doing the Clemson thing. Like, it's not little old Alabama. It's Alabama. But they needed to show it first. And now that they've shown it, I can give them credit for something that I think that they can do. There's going to be overreactions on both sides. People are going to overreact and say, I saw Alabama beat the absolute crap out of Georgia in Atlanta. I'm going with Alabama because it's going to happen again. And I do think in rematches, it's like something around 60%. The, the team that won wins again. Even though everybody says it's hard to win again, it, it usually is the team that, that won the first time. On the flip side, everybody's going to say, I saw Alabama kind of struggle offensively without Mechie against Cincinnati. And I think Michigan's a better team, which I'm not sure they are. Um, and so, and, and I saw what Georgia did. Georgia's going to be favored. I'm going with Georgia because they absolutely killed Michigan. And I think there's going to be overreactions on both sides. For me, Josh, the thing that brings it all back to the middle is I feel a little uncertain about picking Alabama in this game because of all the injuries, especially if Ikior is is not ready to go and, you know, Owens is hurt. Like, he was helped off the field. So that's two offensive linemen on a shaky offensive line. If those guys are healthy, though, what we saw in Alabama versus Georgia is that that offensive line wasn't overmatched to the point where they couldn't run their offense. So we went into that Georgia game thinking what we saw against Auburn means they're not going to be able to run their offense, which means they don't really even have a puncher's chance. I think that that kind of recenters everything, but beyond that, I don't know. So I want you to get into the injury situation for Alabama and let me know without giving your score if that is getting to the point where it's just kind of insurmountable. I already talked about in our game recaps that I think there's a trade-off basically between losing Mechie and losing Robinson or getting Robinson back. That in the Georgia game, they had Mechie. They fell off a lot when Mechie came out. I think Mechie, it's not so much that he's a better receiver as he is a different one. Um, he presents a different kind of, really a different kind of receiving threat, his ability to get open and short yardage, but you actually have a healthy tailback. And against Cincinnati, it was crucial to have a healthy tailback. Whereas I think against Georgia, you'd rather have a great receiver, especially in short yardage that 
can help you against the blitz or at least try to stave it off. But I still think in general that stuff's just sort of a trade-off because they've lost lost in one area, but they've gained a whole other side of the offense that was extremely limited uh, in the original game. I think the bigger issue is the injuries at corner and injuries at offensive line. I don't know how bad the offensive line injuries are going to be. But what we saw in the middle of the year is Alabama with a beat-up offensive line was not particularly effective. Now, when they've got McLaughlin in at center, it, for whatever reason, they really are playing better uh, than they did when uh, they had Dalcourt in at center. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know that the right side of the line was so good that it necessarily feels like a huge drawback. But I will say when Owens was not starting against Auburn, it was an absolute turnstile. Uh, and he kind of resettled it. So he seems like a not great option to the best of what they had. So I think injuries, the offensive line are major. Again, we already talked about the corner situation. I think the corners might be a liability, but I didn't see any reason for that against Cincinnati. And my guess is, given the pedigree of the guys they have and the crazy depth at corner, I think it's more like what happened with LSU, where they lose a bunch of corners. But they had a safety issue at LSU. They didn't have a corner issue, and they had corners that stepped up. I think the concern for Alabama might be injuries in offensive line combined with the fact that, and this is really where I want to turn the conversation, I can't see Georgia approaching this game the same way they did the first time. And they were happy to use their standard defense and standard rush schemes. They attack Alabama more with power than speed. And Alabama's offensive line has had trouble with speed rushers. Cincinnati had a first-round draft pick level outside rusher. He's going to go early rounds in, in Majai Sanders. And Alabama struggled with him. Georgia does not have that kind of player now that Adam Anderson is out. But they can at least bring their inside linebackers like N'Kobe Dean and line them up outside and just, just blitz a ton, which is what Alabama struggled with. And I don't think they did enough of in the first game. And if they do that, I think the injury issue becomes more of an issue. So sort of as a segue, do you think Georgia approaches this game differently? And if they do... How does that start to change the conversation to make this more than just, hey, we're going to get the same result that we had last time? Yeah, I think they do. And I think that Kirby, even if I remember correctly, at the halftime you know, interview against Alabama, I think he even mentioned that they weren't blitzing enough. And so after seeing, so they've, we've got the LSU result, the Auburn result, and now the Cincinnati result where... Cincinnati runs a three three five, but they never just sent three guys. They never did rush through the drop drop eight. Never. Um, and I think that they're going to send more guys. The question is, and we haven't seen this a lot. That leaves a secondary that got. So I'm going to flip this right back to you. That Georgia secondary got cooked in a situation where they weren't sending a bunch of guys. So does this game come down to the fact the, the question of whether or not Georgia gets home versus the Alabama with their, you know, blitzing guys versus now guys that were getting cooked when they're, when they're dropping seven are now even more on an Island. Is it just, does it just come down to the fact that can Alabama exploit that? And if they can't, they lose, if they can, they win. I think that's probably the simplest path to either team winning the game, right? Um, I mean, I, I still saw some of the pr same problems we'd seen before. I mean, Darian Kendrick against Michigan, as much as they were dominating that game, got lost a few times. And he made some big plays, but Kendrick's problem has always been that he was a great athlete, dating back to his times at Clemson, 
And there are times where his technique just breaks down completely, times where he gets turned around, and he lets guys mm-hmm. loose. Um, and I saw that, but Michigan was just never in a position nor do they have the athletes to exploit it. Alabama's a lot more better position to do that. And it'll be interesting to see, like Alabama did a lot of stuff attacking the perimeter with short throws, you know, like screens. Um, and they only threw deep really a handful of times. I think in this game, Georgia is going to play a lot more press. They're going to play a lot more aggressive. They're going to risk getting burned a lot more than they did in the first game. And you know, they're going to see if Alabama does something they've done a lot, which is, hey, you know, we're going to play almost cover zero, carry your receivers and see if Bryce Young panics. Or I say panics, whether he trusts his pocket. It's better, probably a better way to put it. Uh, long enough to throw it if a guy does come open. Um, and yeah, I, I frankly, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I can take guesses towards it. Um, my inclination is that Alabama hits some and not others. I, you know, we run our model, we do our predictions, we don't do it based on Vegas. We say this all the time. But we bring up Vegas sometimes because it's an interesting way to sort of flesh out these concepts. Georgia's favored by three. Everybody knows that. Um, it's interesting because it seems like most people are picking Alabama, even though Georgia's favored. That is usually not a good sign for uh, for the team that everybody's picking. Uh, when, you know, Georgia's getting points and not getting picked, that usually means Vegas knows something we don't. Um, and I think the most telling stat that was not the line is the over-under at 52.5. Vegas does not think this is going to be a high-scoring game. They think this is going to be a game that's like 24 to 27. And if that's the case, that means Vegas doesn't think that Alabama is likely to be overly explosive in this game. They think this could be, and again, the majority of Alabama's big games, their offensive line has not held up. And Bryce Young has lost confidence in his line and his receivers has not really been able to either have time to throw the ball down the field or trusted that he would have time long enough to stay in the pocket and throw it. I think sometimes it's a height issue where he can't see the guys downfield. So if Georgia is a lot more aggressive, I do think it, I'm not saying it necessarily right now that that's going to make them win. But for this stage of our discussion, I definitely think it means it's not going to be a situation where Alabama is in a position to put up 50. I think if they play a lot more aggressively, it is going to make this a tighter game. Well, you mentioned Vegas. You mentioned model. Let's real quick tell everybody what the model said. Um, and, and look, y'all, there's been some weird bowl stuff that's happened with opt-outs here and there. But we've got some tight data points with, with Georgia and Alabama playing one another. And then with, you know, the comp- Alabama and Georgia both played teams who weren't opting out. So that's helped too. But Josh, why don't you, now that I've teed it up, why don't you talk about the model? Sure. And, you know, you've already seen a model when we did uh, the original game. It was 28 all Alabama and Georgia. Um, And now we turn it over. We've played a couple more games. And notably, our model is also based off who you play and how they've done. And there's more data for all the other opponents that's shifted stuff a little bit. And what's interesting to me is it has shifted it towards Alabama. It's now Alabama 29, Georgia 26. Um, just like before, uh, there is a yardage advantage in Georgia's favor, but it was six yards per play predicted for Georgia to four and a half in the prior model, even though it was even now it's pulled a lot closer. It's 5.6 to 4.9. So you went from about a yard and a half advantage to about 0.7 yards. Basically Georgia's yardage production advantage was, has been cut in half in just really a combination of two games and the performance in those two games and also all the additional data points, you know, the 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 uh, bowl games in particular for everybody they played, 
kind of made Alabama look a little bit better, which is sort of an interesting side note. Our game does not care or even really is not designed to be made aware of the fact that this is a rematch, just FYI. You can say that that's really important. There's reasons we don't do that. Football, in in particular, is not a sport where if teams play 10 times in a row that you tend to get the same result that often. Um, you know, the same team may win, like Daniel was saying, 60% of the time, but the way the game flows tends to be pretty different. I think the more notable aspect really is in how some of the numbers have slid defensively, and this is why stuff tightened for Alabama. Alabama's pass defense number went from 92% against Georgia down to 88 Georgia's pass defense number went from 72 up to 77. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but Georgia had a 20% advantage in pass defense as of the SEC championship game. And today they have a 10% advantage. That's a big jump, guys. Like the, Georgia Georgia was giving up under 30, you know, cutting your passing game down by 30%, which was huge. Now it's down to 20%. And that that difference is enough for like a field goal. You know, I mean, it's not massive, but... Offenses and passing games tend to get what they get, and we talk about that a lot. It's hard to really slow one down on a consistent basis. Now, they are often inconsistent by nature, but it's not inconsistent, like, tailored to how good the opposing defense is. It's just some days they have good off days and some days they have on games. Um, hence, you know, like, Auburn result versus the Georgia result. But it does start to matter, and so I think it's interesting that our model – does favor Alabama more now than Georgia, you know, one field goal, but Alabama by a field goal over Georgia. And the spread actually went in the other direction, even after Alabama won the prior game handily. And I think that's one of the more bizarre, frankly, outcomes that we've seen for a while. I've been trying to wrap my head around it all weekend. You know, we record these late on Sunday, just so people know. Uh, And, yeah, so Alabama 29, Georgia 26, changed from Alabama, Georgia 28 all, Georgia getting two points less, Alabama getting an extra point. But by and large, these are still the same teams, and the model with just two extra games, the model's going to view these teams as being what they are, uh, and, and I think that's the right way to do it. And it's interesting to me because, like like you said, Vegas went in one direction and, and our model went in the other, but the one thing that our model doesn't do is account for injury. And this is where I get into my score prediction. I think that Alabama's injury situation is still unclear. But I'm concerned when I see 40% of this offensive line go down in a game and not return and thinking a week later they got to play Georgia. And that it's been an offensive line that's been up and down all year. I do think that Georgia's going to come heavy with the blitz, and I think that Alabama's going to expose that a couple of times. I don't think that's enough to win a ball game. And I really, really believe that Stetson Bennett is good enough to win a national championship. People forget in, in the fact that he threw two interceptions. He was throwing interceptions because he was pressing, because that defense was giving up score after score after score. He still put up 340 yards. And he still dropped dimes to Bowers that kept the ball moving. And, 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 and we haven't even really talked about what matchup disadvantages there are when you have corners that aren't super experienced. And, and you said that you don't, you're not that concerned. You haven't seen evidence that there's a drop-off or, or that they're bad. But this is still going to be Kyrie Jackson's second game ever, right? So I've got Georgia 27, Alabama 24, which is funny. I laughed earlier when you said Vegas has this as a 27-24 game. Because that's that's where I've got it, which 
look, this is coming a lot closer. I think I picked Georgia by 10 in the last game. I think Georgia wins this game, and it's it's really because I don't know about Alabama's injury situation. At some point, it feels like every year at the end of the season, every time an Alabama player gets hurt, they're out for the year. It's so weird to me. They're out for the game. They're out for the year. Everything is is so significant and so severe. And for that, I just think it's too much. We're talking about a Georgia team that's going to send 17 guys, I think I heard earlier, to the NFL. If Georgia doesn't win this game, I've got the concerns because this is their shot. This is Alabama's rebuilding year versus Georgia's like super senior, super everything. Like They're going to take a step back next year. I think they win the game. I'm not shocked at all if Alabama wins the game. I just think that at some point, the injury situation becomes too much, even if you're Alabama. We saw it in 2019. We really saw it for in 2017 for 30% of the season. That's my score. But again, I'm not shocked if Bama wins it. Give me yours. So my score in this game, I'm going to say 30 to 27 Alabama, and we're, we're floating around the same number, right? And we're talking about a touchdown either way. I think Alabama finds a way to get get a score probably, if you want to say it, probably due to the fact that they played Cincinnati. And something we haven't even talked about, mostly because there's there's a lot of things. Look, there's guys like, is is Pickens going to be a huge factor? Well, one, I don't assume so because he had caught one pass for nine yards in the last game, caught one pass in the game prior. I'd be surprised if he's a, suddenly a huge part of the offense, but we don't know, so we're not going to talk about it that much. One of the things we really can't talk about is how much did either one of these teams prepare for the other in bowl prep? I have a feeling that Georgia really had to prepare for Michigan and take that game seriously in a way that Alabama probably had the luxury of not doing. Um, And in particular, Michigan is in no way resembles Alabama in how they play offense in a lot of ways. And the way you attack Michigan is totally different. I think Alabama had the luxury of playing a team that likes to be power run and could probably sneak in prep for Georgia. Now, both these teams have a million analysts, and in terms of coming up with a brand new game plan, that's going to happen. And Georgia is going to be able to probably to adjust more because they had more to adjust from. But in terms of getting players ready, I think Alabama has a little bit of an advantage. And I'm just saying that advantage might be enough to lead to one extra scoring drive. That's it. And that's how tight I think this game likely is. Um, it does not shock me if Georgia wins. But here, here to me is the problem. This is the difficulty for Georgia. If you look at that SEC championship game in 41-24, and all the noise was about the 41. It was about the fact that Alabama put up a ton of yards, threw for 9.6 yards per attempt, you know, yada, yada, yada. My concern for Georgia coming into this game is not the 41, because I think there are paths for them to hold Alabama to a lot fewer points. My concern for Georgia, really more than anything is the 24. This is a team that's averaging, you know, a lot of points on a daily basis, right? You know, what is their scoring offense? It's uh, 39 points per game. And so if you get a team that has 39 points a game, you hold them to 24, you're doing pretty good. And in that Alabama game, it was 7.1 yards per for, uh, for Stetson Bennett, two interceptions thrown, 3.6 yards per carry. And a lot of that would have looked worse if it wasn't for Bowers heroics late in the game. I don't know, for all the talk with what everything Georgia's going to do defensively, this is really the point I want to end on, I don't know what Georgia's going to do different 
offensively. I think Alabama has the opportunity to correct some of the stuff that Georgia exploited them with in the last game. I don't know what Georgia's counterpunch is. Do they want to throw more vertically? Maybe if there's an injury situation, I mean, they're going to test that to see if the corners work, but it's not what they like to do. And so my problem with this game is I struggle to see how Georgia is going to have a good path to get 30 because I still don't, I mean, Alabama's just as healthier, healthier in the front seven. They're still a monster to run on. Again, they're second in the country in rush defense. Georgia's third. And I'm going to have to see a passing game from Stetson Bennett that I really haven't seen to date for me to think they're going to put up a ton of points. And if they're held to the low to mid 20s, I mean, even the LSU game, when, when Alabama was completely lethargic, the center went out, everything went to crap, Alabama scored 20. And so that's going to be a really, really hard game if Alabama knows they got to hit 25 to 30 to keep them from hitting that mark. And that's why I lean towards Alabama, but I certainly don't have a ton of confidence in it. And I do think this game is very likely to be much more of a struggle than the last one, particularly because I am, I will be shocked. And I think it would be coaching malpractice if Georgia does not bring a lot more pressure and go for broke. And my my thinking of having seen Alabama is it's likely to be fairly effective. Josh, you know, putting our numbers hat back on, because we've done a, a lot less numbers and more matchups and, you know, that kind of discussion. If Alabama runs for four yards a carry, do they win? I think if Alabama runs for four yards per carry, they likely won, yeah. And, and that's to your point about <clears> – <throat> having a healthy Brian Robinson versus, you know, losing Mechie. And and I do think that a lot of people see that the production fell off with Mechie going out, but also that's when Alabama started sitting on the ball with a big lead. So maybe there's something there, but I agree. I think if, if Robinson doesn't show up to be that kind of offset for what they lost at wide receiver and he runs for two and a half yards of carry, that's where I think Georgia wins the game. I think because I do not believe that that Bryce Young is going to be able to exploit enough a heavy blitz. Um, the other thing that I was thinking that that I'd like you to maybe touch on is Alabama, we saw Georgia throw very effectively to the running back. We saw one situation where Alabama had a punt against Georgia where if it was a ball that was batted down to Brian Robinson. If he had caught it, he'd have run for 40 yards. Um, and that was early in the game when they were down 10 to nothing or whatever. Is there a situation in this game, because you talk about running back depth and saving running backs. This is it. This is the last game. So for all the issues of running back depth, it might not be a problem in this game because it's the last game. Could you see a situation where they throw to the running back more, kind of like Georgia has done, to sort of counteract that blitz. It's not something they've shown a lot all season long, but you talk about doing something different in this game. Is this something that you could see them doing uh, against Georgia? It's possible. I mean, everything's on the table. Now, the problem, this is the same problem we talked about, like running your offense through a tight end, right? If you're doing one thing, you're not doing something else. If uh, a problem we had years ago with Jalen Hurts in their offense is every Jalen Hurts run, as effective as he was, like a five-plus yard per carry guy, he was often running by scrambling instead of throwing the ball. And that means you don't throw it downfield, which means you lose opportunities to be explosive. I think 
I think you're reticent to throw too much to the backs in this game because Georgia's linebackers are exceptional. And Robinson is a, a really good back, but he's not fast enough to outrun Dean or, or even Walker consistently. And you feel like you have a matchup advantage at receiver and you want to take advantage of it. But to your point, there are probably some plays out there that you can do to the running back just to kind of keep the blitz slow down. I think they will probably try to lean more on the wide receiver screen game more than anything. Because the problem when you bring a blitz is if you bring a blitz and there's a receiver screen, it's one missed tackle at that point and you likely have somebody at the house. I mean, if you've brought a safety and then you've got, you know, nickel and corner on slot and X or Y, you're in a situation now where you often have a one-on-one and, and there's nobody to help. And you've got a speedy guy on the outside that if he breaks a tackle, you don't have leverage anymore. It's a touchdown. I think that's probably where they'll lean, but they're probably going to have to be a little more balanced in those things. And to your point, let, let me spin it more. I think the bigger advantage for Alabama is I think Bryce Young has probably done a lot of stuff to protect himself this year, in part because Alabama knows if Bryce Young goes down, their team is done. Um, we saw that a little bit from Ole Miss. You know, when Matt Corral went down against Baylor, that offense went into the toilet. And Altmeyer made some good throws, but he also made some bad throws, and he was certainly shook for a while. I don't know that Alabama has a backup as good as Altmeyer, frankly. Um, and so they have not let, or they've probably told Bryce Young to get away from pressure, make something happen, throw the ball away. I think they're going to be more than happy to face the blitz. And I think Bryce Young is probably going to be more willing to sit in the pocket and throw in pressure and take a shot than he has been. And I think that's probably the more likely thing is you aren't trying to preserve people from injury. You're going to be more willing to run Robinson into the ground or to take hits on your quarterback and do things that sort of go into facing pressure. Whether that works or not, I don't know. Uh, and that's, again, one of the problems that happens when you have a team that hasn't had to play a certain way and now they're going to try to. Does it actually work? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really feel like both these teams are going to be playing a style of football that neither one of them have really played that much this year. Georgia's going to be a lot more pressure-heavy. Alabama's probably going to be a lot more risk-taking than they've been in most points. And it makes for an extremely unpredictable ballgame, frankly. All right, so I'm going to close this out or have you close this out with one final discussion about Georgia quarterback situation. I am team. I am the founding member of team Stetson Bennett. Um, and I think that their best chance to win this game is with him or Georgia's best chance, best chance is with him. If we get into a situation like 2017 where Georgia is down, not doing so great. Let's say it's 17 to seven at the half. I am of the opinion that it would be a, a very bad decision to go to JT Daniels. I think he would be terrible against this Alabama defense. I think their best chance to win and their only chance to win is with Stetson Bennett. And I've got them winning this game. In your opinion, do you agree for all the Georgia fans that think they've got this thing on the sidelines that nobody's thinking about that can come in and win a game for them because he can stress a defense, do you agree or disagree if it's 17-7 and a half and they put JT Daniels in the game that it's actually worse for Georgia than it is better for Georgia? I, I think it would be a mistake. Uh, I mean, at some point you have to make a change just because if you don't make a change, you're you're destined to lose. And, and coaches that want to win a game are coaches that frequently get blown out because it's like the going forward on fourth down thing, right? 
it increases your odds to win, but it also greatly increases your odds to lose by more or badly. Um, but my thing with when, with Alabama in this particular set of matchups, Stetson Bennett is a better player at escaping the pocket, at using the tight ends, at keeping basically keeping drives alive. Um, his his wheels are an asset. It changes the way Alabama can blitz them and rush them. Um, it kind of keeps the pressure off to a good degree because Alabama can't be more direct. Also, Bowers was the most effective option Georgia had in that first game. And now you can say that's because of Stetson Bennett, but I don't think that's really true. Alabama's had trouble over the middle of the field, especially with tight ends and misdirection stuff all season. And that's where Bennett shines, is delivering an accurate, timely football in those situations. Misdirection plays, because you can run bootlegs and you can roll them out, and that that lets you run a lot more misdirection stuff and hit those tight ends, which is attacking the linebackers and safeties. If you wanted to attack deficient corners down the field, then you'd put in JT Daniels. But the problem is Alabama has a really good pass rush, which I'm not sure Georgia is very well equipped to handle. I'm not sure anybody is. Um, and I don't think you want a stationary target versus Anderson because they can be like Cincinnati had the advantage of having a, a very mobile quarterback and Alabama didn't get a ton of pressure because they were worried about containing him. You let them attack a guy that isn't very mobile. And I think you're going to find Alabama can generate a lot of pressure really quickly. And the other thing is maybe you find Alabama's corners are struggling. And so maybe it's a good idea, but you've got to have time to throw deep. And then if you do throw deep, you got to be getting wins and I just don't think Georgia's corners on Alabama's uh, Al- Georgia's receivers on Alabama's corners are the the good matchup. I don't think you want to be playing around with Alabama's pass rush with a not mobile quarterback. And to me, you know, end of the end of the story here for all this talk. If Georgia can run the ball for over four yards of carry, like four and a half yards of carry, to where they have the ability to throw in third and five and let Stetson Bennett do its thing, that's where they want to be. They need to get the safeties not over the top. It doesn't matter if you got Daniels or Bennett. If, if Bama can sit in two safety, you can't throw over the top because the safeties they have are good and rangy, and they will close on the ball. You've got to get them down in the box. You've got to get them uncomfortable. You've got to go good down in distance. And then not only are you moving the chains, but then you get this counterpunch they had against Michigan the whole game, like we're talking about before you get the ability to, to get the explosives and it, and that that's the game. I mean, that's the game really is, you know, we said it on the other side, right? With Alabama, can Alabama continue to hold up against the pass rush and get some explosives, but on the Georgia side, can they run the ball? And those two things as basic as they are, are the whole game. And I don't think either one of them is, Neither one of those things is dependent upon the Georgia quarterback. So I think people that say if we only had J- JT Daniels are, are, are really missing the boat because that's not the matchup that's going to determine this game. And I'll also say that I think with JT Daniels, you might get more wins on the outside with the deep shot, but you're also going to get more losses. I think that he is more turnover prone than people realize. And yes, Stetson Bennett has thrown some interceptions against Alabama trying to claw his way out of a deficit. But that's different from being able to lean on a defense when you're in an you know lead advantage. I, I think that that JT Daniels trying to claw out of a hole is going to throw a lot of interceptions and 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 be like you said under a lot of duress. 
and Stetson Bennett makes this offense click at a highly efficient rate, it's really down to the fact that your defense doesn't need to give up five scores in a row. If Georgia doesn't give up five scores in a row against Alabama, Stetson Bennett does the same thing he did against Michigan and they win the game. So it really comes down to the point, and this is where we close it out, is to your point, does sending linebackers, does sending five or six get home enough to keep enough pressure on Bryce Young that he gets the yips again like he did against Auburn, like he did against LSU, and like he did for half the game against Cincinnati? If that's the case and that happens, then you're probably going to beat Alabama. If nothing else, it's a closer game and it's in doubt in the fourth quarter. Closing it out, last question, and I know we've run long, and I thank you all for staying this long with us. Josh, if Alabama has 14 to 17 points in the first half, do you think that means they're probably going to win? Meaning that means that blitz, that putting pressure on Bryce Young hasn't completely flummoxed him like it did in the Auburn LSU games. I think that's that's probably fair. I mean, the the late game because of Georgia's depth at running back is probably going to favor them more than people realize. And Alabama's going to get tired. Georgia, their offense goes through the run a lot more than Alabama's does. And so as Alabama gets tired and Georgia can run the ball well and stay in good down and distance, they'll be effective down the stretch. But to your point, I think you're going to have a pretty good idea in the first half. Because if Alabama is able to put up 14 or 17 early while Georgia's defense is fresh, then that means their offensive line's holding up, and, and that's probably going to continue. Both these defenses are going to struggle more in the second half than the first half, more than likely, because that's the way, again, Baylor Ole Miss, same thing that happened, right? Defenses get tired, and they start playing worse. Um, and so Alabama, by all rights, should look worse than Georgia early on because of the pass rush issues. If they can handle them right at the jump, you are kind of kind of know how it's going. The line for Alabama, it's not a coincidence because of how the way the game broke, right? The the breaking point for Alabama is really second quarter to third quarter. That's where they want to win the game. Georgia wants to win in the first and fourth. They want their defense when it's fresh out of the gates to be dominant. They want to run the ball and put it away in the fourth quarter. And Alabama wants to win it in the second and third. And so that should be the game you end up getting. All right, y'all. That's it for us. This was actually a lot of fun. We went wire to wire just talking football just talking sport and it was a lot of fun so let us know again if you like this format because we may do it again next year may it's kind of like our live show so it's, it's fun in that regard don't forget to give us your score prediction we will talk to you in the comments and we are not done for the year i promise we've actually been talking about something that's pretty fun that's completely out of our comfort zone that's going to be coming soon thanks so much y'all have a great championship week and god bless